Have you ever, have you ever been in an argument or a debate with somebody uh, where you're, you're kind of arguing back and forth, and then you realize like 30 minutes later that you both were arguing about two totally different things? You thought that they were talking about this, and they thought you were talking about that, and you're going back and forth, and all of a sudden they say, well, this, and you go, well, why would you say that? And they start to explain, and you go, oh, I didn't know you were talking about that. You know what I'm talking about? When we talk about where the world came from, how the universe began, a lot of times it would help us, not a lot of times, every time it would help us if we knew from what point we were arguing. Let me give you just this example. So in our youth ministry office, we have budgets and stuff that we keep things. So like when you guys go to Camp Collide, we have a youth ministry budget for Camp Collide. Well, Camp Collide also has 18 other churches other than ours that goes. And so we have a budget that runs everything else. So our budget takes care of buses to get you there, takes care of your ticket, I guess, if you will, to collide. But then the big budget gets all the speakers and the games and the, the octopus and, you know, all of those different things. And so they're both called Camp Collide. So sometimes in our office, Mandy, who's my administrative assistant, will be talking and, and I'll say, hey, we need to do something. Well, here, here's a perfect example. We, we put our deposit down for buses for 2016. So we had wrote right, like a $2,000 check to get our buses deposits down. And so when I'm looking at it, it got put in the Camp Collide budget that was the everybody budget. And so I had to go back and go, oh, no, no, we can't put it there because when I, when I print off that report and all the other youth ministers look at it, they're going to go, well, what's that? Why did we all pay for those buses right there? I can't say because you guys paid so that the First Baptist Georgetown kids could go to camp. I mean, that would be cool, but it would be unethical. You know? And so we had to be very careful to go, hey, we're talking about this budget, not that one. And we talk about some of these things like the beginning, we have, to, we have to determine where we're coming from. Now, a lot of people think that this debate about where did the earth begin or even uh, evolution and life, a lot of people think that it's an argument of either science or the Bible. And so people who read their Bible and they believe in the creation account, they look at science, people, they, they, they go, oh, science, and they go, hey, yeah, I'm sorry, it, you're going to find out one day when you die, and it's going to be really hot when you find out. You know, and, and the science people look at the people of faith, and they go, wow, you are dumber than a box of rocks. You know, how could you just dismiss science? And so this debate goes back and forth, and we never get any resolution because we're coming from two very different places. But I want you to see tonight this is not a, a science versus faith debate. In fact, when we talk about evolution or, or the creation of life, or we talk about the beginning of the world the universe, we are actually not talking about science at all. Here's the definition of science. Can we put it up on the screen for me? The definition of science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Now, those two words are very important, observation and experiment. When we talk about the beginning of the universe, raise your hand if you know anybody who has observed the beginning of the universe. Nobody. None of us were there. How many people can make an experiment that makes a universe begin? You can't do it. Science's own definition says, hey, there are some things that are outside of the realm of science. When you started science, I mean, I was in seventh grade, I took a class, physical science. And one of the first things we did, it was the first science class, we learned the scientific method. Some of you are doing that now, some of you remember it. Here it is, it comes in kind of different forms, but hit that next slide. The scientific method says you ask a question, 
You do background research. You construct a hypothesis, a guess of what you think will happen. Then you test your hypothesis by doing an experiment, analyze your data and draw a conclusion, and then communicate your results. So when I was a sophomore and I was in physics, we had to do an experiment. I think you guys do this too in some of your schools. We had to take an egg and we had to go up to the top of Leo Buckley Stadium, our football stadium, and we had to drop it off the, the top. If it didn't break, we got an A. If it broke, we got an F. That was the lab. And so me and my buddy, Jeremy Watts, and we, we were in my backyard with a carton of eggs, and we're like asking questions. How do, we, how do we keep this egg safe? We did background research. We didn't have the internet then, so we couldn't Google somebody else's science project. We had to figure it out on our own. We thought, well, maybe if we, if we do this with it, if we put it in this thing, like we tried like a jar of peanut butter, scoop out all the peanut butter, put it in, put the peanut butter back. We're, we're testing these ideas, and we don't have a stadium, so we're in my backyard taking the peanut butter can and throwing it up as high as we can and letting it hit and then opening it up and going, oh, that didn't work. You know, so we, we had some hypotheses. We tested them. We got to the point where we got, okay, we think this will work as best we can. We went up to the stadium. We dropped it off. Boom, my egg survived. I got an A, science project done. But I cannot, go back for one second, I cannot, when it comes to the beginning of the universe or even life, I cannot test my hypothesis. It's impossible. We cannot create a universe again. We cannot create life like it happened in the very beginning. And so by definition, we're not talking science, and that's a, a fallacy that people think. We're talking philosophy, or more importantly, we're talking worldview. Now, if you don't know what a worldview is, a worldview, and it's my easiest definition for it, it's, it's the grid through which you see the world. And it's shaped by the way you were raised. It's shaped by your parents. It's shaped by the things you've watched on TV. It's shaped by the culture in which you live. And so, so you see things differently than somebody who was born in New York City sees things. You guys have different worldviews just based on where you live. But you also have different worldviews based on what people around you have believed and what you've learned. Now, you could debate all kinds of different worldviews, but let me separate them into two major categories. One worldview is a naturalistic worldview. And what somebody with a naturalistic worldview, the grid through which they see the world, they say, all of my questions have natural explanations. All of my questions can be answered by science. The other worldview is a supernatural worldview. That person says, when I see the world, the way I see the world, I believe that there are some things that science cannot and will not be able to explain. Now, the person with a naturalistic worldview takes those things that are unexplainable, and they said, we can't explain it yet, but we will have science one day that will. And the supernatural worldview says, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there are some things that are bigger than the human mind can understand. Maybe there are some things like God, that science cannot fully prove or explain. Every one of you in here has a worldview, and it's somewhere, some of you have very naturalistic worldviews, some of you have very supernatural worldviews. So when we talk about the beginning and how the earth was created, even life and evolution, which we're not going to get into today, your worldview is where you're beginning your argument, your debate from, and it matters. It's a big deal. Problem is, where we live, in, not just in Texas, in the United States, our education system, every school that you go to, unless you go to a Christian school or something like that, every school you go to has teachers who primarily, not all of them, but primarily have a naturalistic worldview. 
and you're reading textbooks that have a naturalistic worldview. And so they're trying to give you answers, and the supernatural can never be an option. It's not even something up to consider. Let me show you how powerful this is. How many of you have been to Disney World? Wow. I'm going next week. I'm pumped, taking my girls. Um, so there's an exhibit there called the, the, the Living Seas. I'm going to watch you watch a two-minute thing. Now, here's what happened. Some dude went into Disney World with his, like, video camera and filmed it. So it's not high quality. But I want you to watch. If you take kids, and kids go to Disney World, and they go in, they sit down, and they see in, <coughs> in all of its fullness this video. And this is just a portion of it. Go ahead and hit that video for me. Try to imagine just for a moment that somewhere in the endless reaches of the universe... On the outer edge of a galaxy of a hundred thousand million suns, deep within a cluster of slowly forming planets, a small sphere of just the right size lies just the right distance from its mother star, cooling in the coldness of space. Try to imagine. Now that sphere's creation continues, as countless volcanoes spew clouds of gas and steam into the sky for melted mineral formations. And then that cloud-covered planet waits. And waits. And waits. Until finally those clouds of gas and steam condense and rain upon that planet. Rain upon that planet Earth. And they rain. And rain. And rain. The deluge. deluge of such magnitude that the world's greatest waterfalls flowing together for more than a million years would only just begin to approach its results. For when it finally stopped, the seas had been born. Okay, so here's how, here's how it works. No one was there to see that. In fact, they tell you like in the video that there was a planet that was just the right size and happened to be just the right distance from the sun. And then all of this stuff started happening and, and all of the waterfalls or the major waterfalls flowing for millions of years wouldn't even begin to explain what happened. Now, here's the thing. That's not a bad idea. That's interesting. And there's probably some things we've observed through science that might lend us to believe that. But here's the truth. 
It's a theory because we've never been able to test it. We've never been able to experiment it and observe it. So it's a theory, but was it presented to the little kid sitting at Disney World as a theory? No, it's presented as a fact. And then you get into science class, it has a naturalistic worldview, and it's presented as fact. And so along the way, we come to this idea that here's what science has proven, which is not proven, it's a theory. And we get stuck in this naturalistic worldview, thinking that any other alternative must be silly. What we have to say is if we were going to be intellectually honest, we're dealing with theories of how the world began. One theory is what you just saw. Another theory is that God created. Now, if you have a naturalistic worldview, you don't believe in the supernatural, you don't believe in God, therefore that cannot be possibly true, and your only option is what you just saw. And that is where the debate lands. Now, flip over to Genesis 1 just for a second. And while you're doing that, I want you to hear this. Science is not a bad thing. I gotta go fast, I'm gonna run out of time. I want you, as you're flipping to Genesis chapter one, I want you to see some things, I'm gonna read them off here. Did I have, or did I skip all over some of the science things? Okay, go back to that real quick. I just want you all to see that I got out of, out of order here. So Roger Coates, a contemporary of Isaac Newton, believed that the world arose from, quote, the perfectly free will of God, and therefore we must investigate the world by observations and experiments. What they used to believe is that science was what, Christianity lended a ton of insight to science because what these early scientists believe is if we study what God created, we'd learn more about God. If we look at what God made and how he made it, as much as we can learn about it, we might learn about the character of God. So Copernicus, Copernicus lived in a world where they believed, as many people do today with a naturalistic worldview, that matter always existed. And the Greeks believed that matter, because it always existed, it was actually the, the gods they believed in had no control over matter. And so they believed that if you did experiments and things like that, um, you would get anomalies along the way. But there were some Christian scientists who believed, they said, we believe that God is a God of order. When we read the Bible, God's a God of order. We believe that God is perfect. And we believe that if God chose to do something, he would do it perfectly. And so they believed in that day and age that the, that the earth was the center of the solar system and everything revolved around it. And a guy named Copernicus, because of his faith, looked at the mathematical principles. And he said, if the, if the, if the earth is the center and everything revolves around it, the math doesn't work as well as if the sun is the center. If the sun's the center and everything revolves around it, the math works perfectly. That's what caused him to start to do those experiments. And Copernicus is the one that because he believed that God was perfect and that God would make perfect math and perfect science, that's how Copernicus discovered that the sun was the center of the solar system. Here's another example. Science believed that the planets had circular orbits. Johannes Kepler, same thing. Notice that there were slight mismatches in mathematical equations that the science of the day just shrugged off. They went, oh, it's going to happen. But Kepler believed that if God wanted the orbits to be circular, they'd be exactly circular. So he started the experiment, started the study, and discovered they weren't circular. They were ellipses because of his faith in God. And then Isaac Newton, the father of science, a devout Christian, who believed what I said earlier, that science would teach him more about God. So here's what I want you to say. As we're talking science and stuff, science is not bad. If you're a believer, you follow Jesus, you ought to become a, an incredible scientist if that's what your passion is. Because science can teach us about God. But science can't teach us everything. Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read the entire creation account, but I want to read you the first five verses tonight. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And you can read through the rest of Genesis chapter 1, and you can read about day 2, and day 3, and day 4, and day 5, and day 6, and God takes a rest on the seventh day. What we have here is an explanation from God to his people of how the universe began. Now, here's what you understand. This is not science, nor was it ever meant to be. So when you're having a scientific debate, if you're coming with Genesis, again, you're bringing the wrong weapons to the fight. You're bringing the wrong tools to the the project because this was never meant to give us details. What this was meant, this scripture, Genesis 1, was not meant to tell us how. It was meant to tell us who. Not meant to tell us how, but who. That God is sovereign and God is created. That was the purpose. And so when we start trying to argue this, and, and even Christians debate, did, did, was the world created in six literal days? Or is a day like several eras? And Christians debate that back and forth. And they have some, some observable facts that they've tried to figure out through science that, that give them some reasons for both of what they believe. But let me tell you this. If God chose to create the world and those days were actually eras, here's what would not have happened. Because the printing press was made in the 1500s. Even before there was Old Testament written on papyrus, the Old Testament was communicated from God's people to the next generations orally. So if God created the earth in eras, here is what God would not have told the people to pass on to their grandchildren. God created the earth And for 163,217,314 years, six months and three days, the earth was cooling. And then after that, God separated the waters. And he did that. Actually, he started back like 6,374,218 days before that. And it kind of overlapped. Because if you've got to communicate that story of God to a generation, you are going to screw it up at some point. You're going to be like, I can't remember the numbers. It's much easier for God to say, listen, day one. I created light. Day two, I separated the atmospheres because it wasn't about how, it was about who. But again, remember, we're not talking science. We're talking worldview. So here's what you're going to have to do. Here's what you're going to have to wrestle with as you try to figure out what, what, what truth is. And I'm going to tell you this right now. This debate's going to go on forever. This debate, there's, there's going to be people who are in the science worldview, and they're never going to come and go, I believe God. And there's some people who believe in God, they're never going to go, I think science explains it all, and that Genesis 1 is wrong. The debate is going to go on until the end of time. But here's some things that you need to do. Here's the first thing, and I'm going to go fast so we can get out of here on time. You have to decide if you are okay with or you believe that the supernatural is possible. You've got to decide that because that's going to help you determine your worldview. If you go, I cannot believe that there's anything that science cannot or will not ever be able to explain, you're going to have a hard time believing Genesis 1. Not only that, you're going to have a hard time believing God because he's supernatural. But if you believe in the supernatural, all of a sudden it begins to make a little bit more sense. Let me give you an example. There's a gentleman, I I keep forgetting his name. I have to look it up. Guys, uh, his name is Kenneth Wallace. Kenneth Wallace was a pastor Started having some back pains, some aches and stuff. Tried to like go without like, you know, going to the doctor. Finally said, hey, I got to go to the doctor. Goes to the doctor. He wants a prescription, some painkillers to help manage the pain. The doctor said, hey, before we do that, we've got to run some tests. 
They run some tests and they go, hey, we've got bad news. You have prostate cancer. You've got a tumor. And from what we can tell, we're guessing you've had that tumor and it's been growing and it's malignant, it's bad. It's been growing for about 10 years. And they said on a scale of one to four, one being okay, four being bad, you're at a four. So he goes to John Hopkins to kind of figure out, hey, what can I do? The, John, the, the doctors there at John Hopkins look at him and they say, listen, chemo and radiation is not going to help. It's, it's too far gone. And we can't do surgery because we don't think you could make it to the surgery. So basically, you have this terminal disease and just get ready. Get your affairs in order and get your stuff ready because you're, you're leaving this life. And he goes and begins to do that. But as a believer who believes in the supernatural, he begins to have some friends pray for him. He has a friend that comes over, and this was over some period of time. He went from 237 pounds to 120 pounds as he was just losing weight. Near the end of his life, friend comes over, wants to pray for him to sin his liver. And as the friend is praying for him, this guy says in his story, and he says, he says, I felt like warmth going through all of my body. And he knew nothing more to say, but he called out to his wife, and he said, Jesus just healed me. They go to, back to John Hopkins. They do the, the scans. They do the MRIs. They look cancer-free. Not the only story like that. How do you explain that? The scientists and the doctors can't. So if you're a naturalistic worldview, the, the only answer you have is, we don't know yet, but one day we'll have some science that will explain what happened. <laughs> that, okay. But is, is it really that hard to then believe Maybe there's something bigger than us. Maybe there is a God out there who does heal from time to time. If you can get to the point where you go, hey, I have a supernatural worldview. I'm okay with supernatural. Then how the earth began will actually make much more sense, and it'll be a smaller leap of faith than if you stick in a natural worldview. Here's the second thing you need to do. You've got to take a deep breath and rest easy. There are books and books and books that go through apologetics that talk about observable science and things like that to, to the creation account and things like that. In fact, one of the biggest movements in science today is, the, is what's called ID theory. It's, it means intelligent design. And what's happened is scientists who were just looking at the science and trying to make theories, they've looked at the theories that we saw from Disney World and things like that, and they go, from what we know now, we don't think that's a good theory by the evidences that we have, our best bet is that there was an intelligent designer. And you know what's unbelievable about this? There are scientists who believe that that are not Christians, and they have no interest in becoming a Christian. They have actually said, scientists, brilliant people, they go, we think that our best theory is that an alien intelligence came and started life on our planet. And people giggle. But that's a naturalistic explanation and that's all they've got. They can't get to the point that maybe God could create, but all of the evidence is point to a designer. And you're going to read blogs, and you're going to have debates, and your science teachers are going to say some things along the way that you're going to go, man, I don't know, that makes, that's kind of, that blows my mind, and that seems like it. Here's what I want you to know. There are people out there who are brilliant, like William Lane Craig, who travels the world, who is a scientist, um, who has a doctorate in philosophy as well, and they debate people. And they will, they'll sit down with any and all comers. There's a guy named Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is the number one most famous atheist in America today. He's written several books. Every time he writes a book, it goes to the top of the bestsellers. People are all buying. And he says, God doesn't exist. And he writes all those reasons why. William Lane Craig has for years 
extended an offer to Richard Dawkins that says, I will sit down with you and we can debate creation versus, or, or God versus atheism, creation versus evolution. I'll debate. You name the time and place, I'll show up, we'll debate. And Richard Dawkins won't do it. It's almost a joke in the debating community. Dr. Stephen Meyer, who's a brilliant believing scientist, has offered the same thing to Dawkins. You don't want to debate William Lane Craig? Debate me. Won't happen. And I want to read you this quote because William Lane Craig just debated an atheist not too long ago. And they were talking about Richard Dawkins being afraid to debate. And it says this. They said, but Dawkins, and I'm going to read it to you because it would be better than me telling you. But Dawkins may just well be feeling relieved, however, given the outcome of Craig's latest debate at Indiana University. By all accounts, Craig appears to have soundly beaten his opponent and advocate for evolution, Francisco Ayala. Ayala is no dummy either. And in debating the topic intelligent design, is it viable, he should, at least on paper, have been a serious contender with Craig, professor of biology and philosophy at the University of California. Ayala is described by the New York Times as the, quote, renaissance man of evolutionary biology. Authoring or editing over 980 articles and 34 books, in 2001, he was awarded the National Medal of Science and throughout his career has been recognized by numerous other institutes and academic organizations. Now understand this. When they debate, debates happen in one of two ways. There is an audience that votes or a moderator or a moderating panel that votes. So there is a winner in the debate. And William Lane Craig sat down with the guy, just read you his resume. And William Lane, William Lane Craig defeated him soundly says, Ayala was outperformed. Even the moderator of the debate was less than impressed with the evolutionary biologist and viewed it in Craig's favor. Now, here's the best part. Luke Muehlhauser, the blogger at Common Sense Atheism. That's, he's, a, he's an atheist. Writes blogs for atheists. Was even more blunt, suggesting Ayala was getting, quote, unquote, whomped by Craig. I mean, it's an atheist blogger going, whoo, boy, we got whipped in that one. There's Rest easy. You may not know all the answers. I guarantee you this. Your science teacher doesn't know all the answers. I will doubly guarantee you this. I don't know all the answers. But there are some people out there who know a lot more of the answers. And they've studied and they are, they are brilliant. And they've come back and they've said, you know what? We can say with our scientific minds and with our philosophical minds, with our, the brilliant brains that God gave us, that to believe that God created Genesis 1 could very well be the best theory we're looking at. You may not be able to answer it all, but other people are out there doing it. And the people that are atheists, the leading atheists, are scared to death to get onto the stage in front of people and go head-to-head in that conversation. That's a crazy thing. Here's the third thing, last thing. You've got to not get caught up with angry people. If you go back to school tomorrow and you sit down in science and you go, hey, we want to talk with you science teacher because... This isn't science. You've been lying to us. It's philosophy. It's worldview. You have a naturalistic worldview. I don't. So therefore, I should get an A on my test and not the C that you gave me. And and you get into the debate back and forth. What you will find, for some reason, I don't know, it's not always, but you'll find a lot of angry people out there. I get on blogs and I get on comment boards and especially things about faith. And I'm always running across people who are atheists and they're angry. They're mad at people of faith. I mean, it's in the news right now with a coach up in, I think, Oregon, who people are trying to get him fired and everything because he prays with his, his team after the football game. People are all angry and upset, called and had the satanic church come out. And so, I mean, like, like what are y'all crazy? You done lost your mind. If you don't believe that God exists, why do you care if a guy and some students pray to a God that doesn't exist? 
You shouldn't be angry. You should pity them. You should shake their heads. You should shake your head and go, man, they're just so dumb. And in a world today where we talk about tolerance, why wouldn't you be tolerant of the people who are that dumb to believe in a God that doesn't exist? It makes no sense. But we find people getting angry. And what you cannot do is engage in the debate and get the fight going. You can present facts, present truth, present things to think about, but don't engage. Here's what happens a lot of times, and you need to hear this. People will start saying, and I hear this all the time on these things, Christianity is evil. And they go and quote Old Testament verses and things like that out of context, not understanding the, the culture, not understanding the heart of God, nothing. They quote these things, and they go, it's evil. And they throw out things like this. Christianity is responsible for the Crusades. Okay, well, that may be fair, but can we get something within the last hundred years, you know, that we can talk about? And they'll come back, and you'll hear us say, Christians, Christians had slaves. And you know what? That's absolutely true. There are some Christians that were wrong. They misinterpreted Scripture. They didn't do well. And they had slaves. You know who else who had a lot of slaves? Non-Christians. Everybody did. You know, in, in Europe, who ended the slave trade? A man named William Wilberforce. You know why William Wilberforce was passionate about the slave trade? Because he was a Jesus-loving Christian, and he looked at Scripture and went, this is wrong, and took down slavery. And people go, oh, yeah, Christians, that in the 1950s. Christians, man, in the South, Bible Belt, racism. Black people had one water fountain, white people had another one. Yep, there were some Christians that were racist. You know what else? There were a lot of non-Christians who were racist. You know, help bring an end to racism or begin the, that battle? A gentleman named Martin Luther King Jr. and a few other pastors who, because of their faith, said, this is wrong, we've got to change the world in which we live. Christians have been about doing good things, not bad things, and we can't get like, like hammered for things. My question is, why is no one talking about humanistic theory, which is what ever we're learning in school, that humanism, self-actualization, if you're in psychology, Abraham Maslow, Self-actualization is, is where we're headed. Humanity is the ultimate experience. You know who believed that? The guy that was responsible for the death of six million Jews in World War II, Hitler. He was a humanist. And you know who fought against him? Christians throughout Germany like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others. Why is nobody going, you know what's wrong? Humanism's wrong because it's responsible for six million. No, it's like Christians and the Crusades. What I want you to understand is this. Christianity has been doing great things in our world since Jesus. When Katrina hits, this actually made the news. You know who showed up to help people? It wasn't the government. It wasn't non-Christian organizations. It was churches and mission groups and Christian organizations. You know who's helping bring clean water around the world? Not government and non-Christian organizations. Churches and Christian organizations. You know who's fighting human trafficking in the world today? A21, an international justice mission. Christians. You know who's helping children get adopted all around the world out of bad places and good places? Christian organizations. So don't get into the fight when people start saying, well, Christianity's bad, and you were to the Crusades, and you were all this, because the truth is, the historical record says, the people of God, even though flawed and have made mistakes for lots of mistakes, I have too, have been doing way more good than bad since Jesus went to heaven. Don't get caught up in the fight. At the end of the day, you can believe the Genesis 1 account and be an intelligent person. But also at the end of the day, it's not about arguing with that friend or that teacher. It's about loving God and loving people. And at the end of the day, if somebody says, hey, I just can't believe because my world, understand that's their worldview, and love them 
as best you can. And know in your mind that you're not stupid, that some brilliant people around this planet have done the research, they've done the study, and they believe that the evidence is point to Genesis 1. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to run short on time. Um, but I'll come up and we'll do boxes right after that. So, band, come on up and let me pray for us. God, God, we handled some heavy stuff tonight and didn't even scratch the surface. But, God, my prayer is as we walk out, if it was just too much for somebody, that they would at least just walk out knowing that it is not about science versus faith. That science actually points to faith and faith encourages science. God, help us to know Genesis 1 isn't this fanciful account of how the world began, a myth. It's actually true. God, help us not to get caught up in how. Help us be captured by who. You created this earth and you created this universe to put your power and your majesty on display for us. So as we do study and learn, we learn about you, but more importantly, that we'd be in awe. As we look out to telescopes and we see planets and suns and the universe unfold and we see waterfalls and meadows and rivers and the ocean, that we would be blown away by the who that created it. And the how would become something fun that we study to learn more about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.